Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, all you beautiful podcast humans? Thank you for listening to this podcast as we all are rapidly approaching the end of the year where we hopefully shut down and take some time to ourselves and our family and friends and look at Christmas tree lights and all that other fun stuff. But I take no weeks off except for maybe one week at the end of this month. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I have another incredible conversation for you today, and that is with Kenny Lush. He plays in a band called Rest Easy. He also played in Daggermouth. Vancouver legend, I would dare say. Vancouver, BC, for those of you that are uh, keeping score. But uh, I love Daggermouth. I really enjoyed. I saw them, man, I want to say at least once, probably at Chain Reaction, I want to say, back in the uh, early 10s or whatever you are calling that decade. <laughs> the aughts. I like to say the aughts, but obviously that's, you know, 2000 to 2010 or 2009. I think that's what you call the odds. But anyways, Rest Easy is his new band who are really, really good. They just put out a LP on Mutant League Records that I highly suggest you mess around with. We'll obviously play a little bit of their music as we head into the conversation with Kenny. But uh, he is a real dude. (laughs) When I say a real dude, he's been at it. He has supported this whole DIY music scene for quite some time. And on top of it, he has supported the DIY wrestling scene for many, many years. He wrestled, traveled the world doing professional wrestling. And uh, that was one of the many reasons why I wanted to have him on this podcast, because uh, even though I do not pay attention to wrestling as much as I used to in my, I don't know, I think my sweet spot was probably around eight years old to maybe 13 years old. We're talking WrestleMania, just like those pay-per-view events. Oh my gosh. But um, anyways, I just respect the art of wrestling very much because it's so similar to punk and hardcore as far as the unconventional venues, traveling around the country, you know, promoting shows, all that sort of stuff. So, but anyways, like I said, Kenny, new band, check it out. 
rest easy. And we will talk to him in a moment, but let's talk about how you can get in contact with the show. 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I love receiving email. I am pretty punishing when when it comes to email, uh, just because I I try to respond to people pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, we start to develop a email relationship from that perspective. And sometimes people are just uh, emailing me to say, Hey, what's up? I got into the show via this interview and thank you for doing what you do. Or how about you have this person on or you suck at interviewing. I, I fortunately have refused or not refuse. Like I can decline emails. I have only received those occasionally. And I can tell those are people who are listening to these conversations and being like, I want it to be like a traditional interview where you ask a question and you, the interviewer shut up. I'm like, okay, that's fine. If you want that, there's plenty of places doing that, but that's neither here nor there. But you can also do me a favor. Please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or leave a rating on the Spotify platform. I know I say that week in and week out, but that is because you, a large majority of listeners of this podcast, do not do that. And I would very much appreciate if you just took 30 seconds out of your day and did that helps out the algorithm, helps out the legitimacy of the show. Because, I mean, we all know, like, everybody needs to seem legit, right? And that's one way that I, I, I chase chase the legitimacy. Then I can show my child and my wife, like, hey, I got a new review on the podcast. This show is legitimate. It's not just, you know, appealing to my 40 friends. <laughs> but anyways, let's talk to Kenny. Uh, we are getting into all the nitty gritty that is the Vancouver music scene. And like I said, independent wrestling, it's really, really fun. So that's what we got. Let's talk to Kenny. Let's listen to a little bit of his band before we get into the conversation. I became aware of you via Dagger Mouth. Like I imagine most people have interacted with you outside of the Vancouver hardcore and punk scene. Yeah. And uh, I, it's like mid 2000s is when Dagger Mouth came, uh, you know, into my ecosystem. And uh, I think at one point, too, I, I don't recall who in the band I was speaking to. But there, I used to work for a label called uh, Century Media slash Abacus Recordings. And I know that I was like talking to you guys before you like signed to State of Mind or there was something that was connected to it. But the point being is that I, I felt like there was this really, really interesting scene. I mean, a lot of people like to obviously call it the whole uh, easy core thing. I, I don't necessarily like that statement, but <laughs> just that just that idea that it was like here are hardcore kids playing pop punk in like a very real way, but not pop punk in the, you know, sort of traditional sense of the term and leaning more into obviously, you know, your kid dynamites and lifetimes and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, you know, as Dagger Mouse started to kind of get out there and either play shows or just see the attention that was uh, paid towards you, did you feel and notice kind of the, for lack of a better term, movement that was kind of building around that particular scene? Man, not really. Not at first. Like, um, it, it, it was weird when, when Dagger Mouth was started, it was kind of like in the peak of when every dude in Vancouver had like a white studded belt and swoop hair and uh Stu the other guitar player and me just kind of wanted to start like a fast punk band because that shit was like a thing of the 90s and no one was doing it at all so yeah we we kind of just wanted to do something fast and anything I do ends up 
trying to like lean. It always ends up leaning towards like Dan Yemeni type stuff because, you know, I'm such a huge like lifetime, like lifetime good riddance and like Lagwagon, I guess, are my like three creative like I kind of meld those things together and hope that my music kind of sounds like that. And uh, yeah, but we didn't notice no like easy core type resurgence really until the whole, you know, I guess more towards like once Turf Wars came out and like Set Your Goals was like killing it. And then like there was a whole bunch of bands that were coming out that were by that point, like even more crazy. Like it would be like, like, like Chunk No Captain Chunk and stuff. It would be like more like down tuned guitars with like, like weird metal breakdowns and stuff like that. That's kind of when I started noticing like, Oh, this thing's we I've created a monster. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it is true. Like I, I think a lot of it was so fun to watch how different bands experimented with the style where it's like, how accelerated can we make our fast parts? And then how over the top can we make our breakdowns? And like you saw so many bands, you know, to varying degrees of success or enjoyment for, you know, individuals, but just like collectively, it was interesting to watch that. And especially too, where it's like, I know, and I'm sure you have an opinion of the lifetime record that they put out, like their comeback record, the self-titled one, where it would just, it kind of sparked a lot of people who hadn't even really engaged with lifetime before to be like, Oh, so this is kind of a different version of pop punk that we can do. Yeah, totally. And I, I really enjoy that Lifetime self-titled album. It's, it's, you know, I don't think it's up there. Like, it's, it's, if I could only bring one to a, to an island, it wouldn't be that one. But if I could bring 10 records to an island, it would definitely make it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. And, uh, yeah, no, I did. I, I, and, and I think too, in the same way that uh, you know, once the diversification of how people spread their music on the wow. internet, I mean, you know, clearly mid two thousands, like the internet existed and people were able to access music much easier than they were in the mid nineties. Yeah. But there was this, there, there was lack of regionality that started to happen where it was, you know, bands could influence each other from thousands of miles apart in ways that it didn't, it wasn't really accessible previously to that. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I think the, yeah, the, you know, shout out to MySpace for, uh, <laughs> you know, helping all the bands get their word out and their styles out and everything. I think it played uh, a big part in, you know, at least, you know, I know with Daggermouth, like booking tours and stuff like that. We used a lot of MySpace and shit like that. And yeah, I think it, it was just good for, you know, like, yeah, styles getting out. And I, I remember like, you know, bands writing the Daggermouth page like oh you're our influence you influenced us like check this out and yeah it was it was a sweet you know yeah for sure and kind of putting the focus on you as a person you were you actually born and raised in vancouver where'd you come up i couldn't find the sort of simple biographical information on you as a person Oh, I, uh, yeah, I was born in a town called New Westminster, which used to be the capital of, uh, BC long, long, long time ago in the cowboy days. Um, it's like a suburb of Vancouver and I kind of lived around the, uh, Vancouver Island and stuff like that 
um, till I was six and then just kind of suburbs of Vancouver until I was 12. And then I remember when I was uh, in grade seven, right before the right before I started high school, my dad, my dad has a very short fuse. He's a great man, but <laughs> patience is not his virtue. And uh, he got stuck in traffic one day. And I guess it happened a few times. And he just decided uh, he's moving the family up north to so I spent my teenager years in a town called 100 Mile House, which is like hillbilly middle of nowhere i grew up on a lake like it's about a seven hour drive from vancouver to get up there oh wow that's that's pretty rural yeah so you know and it was like a weird you know weird time like starting high school all of a sudden up in like this weird town where i had no friends and i was like super outsider and stuff like that so you know i think that played a big part into me getting into punk rock too Sure, absolutely. What was your uh, family structure like? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have a sister named Georgia, and uh, she's 18 months younger than me. And uh, yeah, she's all into like punk and hardcore and always supports all the stuff that I do. She's also one of them Turbo Yugen people. I call her a Turbo Juggalo because it annoys her. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, she yeah, she's all into music stuff. My parents are, they're still married and, you know, going to Vegas multiple times a year and everything so yeah i'm not i'm not from a broken home or anything can't complain about that yeah no that's great yeah well the the, honestly the the turbo negro influence like i i do see the juggalo connection as far as the (laughs) devotion is concerned but it is i mean it, it, it is interesting. I mean, cause clearly just the uniform is much cooler than juggalos, but uh, you know, the, the principles are still the same where it's like, we just like to express ourselves and rock out. Yeah. And it's all about family. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure. It's like, if you have, if you have a jean jacket with the turbo Yugen patch on the back, you're golden. You're good. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You're welcome anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I just, I also think that that band bridges so many gaps in the way that, uh, you know, I mean, juggalos do as well of that idea that like, I don't care if you're into punk, hardcore, glam rock, whatever, like you are welcome under this big umbrella that, uh, you know, a lot of their bands can't create that big tent. Yeah, for sure. I actually played some, gathering of the turbo yugen or whatever they call it i played uh uh because i also play guitar and on that fat records band uh the real mckenzie's and we did a uh, august europe tour and i played some like yugen festival and stuff like that so it was a good time they're all super nice people (laughs) dude that's amazing i love that having an experience where (laughs) you could play in a band that is you know, not yours as far as like starting it from scratch and then having these wild experiences. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It was kind of a little, uh, yeah, they, they were looking for new members and stuff and kind of around December last year I got at, like I, I ran into one of the guitar players cause I I'm a bouncer in a bar or was a bouncer. Actually, I still guess I do a little bit since I'm bouncing the L7 concert this Saturday, but, uh, he was coming in <laughs> and, and, uh, I was like, hey, man, I heard you like need some members like or like, you know, there's kind of like you don't have a stable lineup. And I volunteered to like, you know, hey, if you need a guy for one show, let me know. And uh, one show turned into, 
you know, joining the band. So yeah, I've done a couple tours this year with them. So it's been, it's been nice, especially after the pandemic to be able to get back on the road. Right. Right. And I, I do love how punk rock just hits so differently in Europe and the fact that people's memories are so much longer in the way that, I mean, same thing could be said about hardcore over there where bands like sick of it all agnostic front can be, you know, playing in front of, hundred thousand people but like in america they can play in front of 200 if they're lucky yeah like uh we did some festivals with ignite and they fucking killed it and their new singer is amazing and you know they're all it was nice to meet them they're all great dudes but yeah they you know they kill it over there and then i I remember a couple years ago they played vancouver and i i missed the show but i heard it wasn't like super well attended you know what i mean but uh you know yeah it's just like Europe just remembers those bands and, you know, they, they, you know, they just love music a lot more. Not that like people in North America don't, but like, uh, it's definitely less trendy, you know, over in Europe. It's more of a love, I guess. Yeah. It's, it seems like you have to work harder to get known over there and go over so many times. But then once you kind of jump over that fence and make it, it's like, you're welcome with open arms for the next 20 to 25 years. Yeah, well, like, even that band, the Mackenzies I'm playing with, like, you know, they're just one of those bands that have been going over, you know, two or three times a year, every year. And, like, yeah, people people just remember them. It's crazy. It's, you know, it, it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so as you started, you know, when you were, like you mentioned, uh, living in a, a rural area and having to start over and try to make friends and all that sort of stuff. How had you already kind of tripped across, you know, punk and hardcore prior to that? Or was that all, you know, kind of new as you were uh, just trying to figure out your life up there? Oh, 12 year old me thought that uh, like during my grade seven year, I was like die hard guns and roses. Cause that's kind of right when like use your illusions one and two came out. I even remember uh, wearing Doc Martens and and uh, spandex bicycle shorts to school because that's what Axl Rose would wear on stage. Beautiful, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was uh, I was like a diehard, you know, kind of just GNR kid. I I didn't even like Nirvana at the time. I thought they were kind of whack when they came out. And uh, yeah, I I got into kind of once I moved up there, I I got into in utero i really like that and that album kind of got me nirvana's in utero kind of got me like realizing that there's such thing as an underground and you know because kurt cobain was always pretty good with championing and like you know k records bands and kill your rockstar bands and just coming from sub pop too you know like i i bought even before i got into punk music really i remember getting um diary by sunny day real estate just because it was on sub pop and i thought it was a grunge album and uh listening to that i was i was really stoked and uh i gotta say the band that got me into punk and hardcore was a a band a bc band called gob and i'm sure you heard of them like I, they, oh yeah yeah and i'm not talking gob the the reno spaz noise metal band or whatever because i know reno had a band called gob but uh there's a pop punk band from vancouver called gob and uh they were played on the i was able to pick up out in the woods the Kamloops radio station 
And they had like a little indie hour once a week. And I would pick that up on my staticky kind of radio in my bedroom. And I remember they played Gob. And after that, next time I was in Vancouver, I picked up the Gob album. And then straight from there, I would look at the bands they thanked in the liner notes. And then everything just kind of piled in there. And I started going to local shows. And the rest is history. Yeah, I I love the way that certain bands hit you at that certain time. And it, it is so interesting, too, because the idea that you always are on that search for the additional layer, like, you know, a lot of people stopped at Nirvana and they were fine with that. But then obviously, you know, people like you and I just continue to, you know, scratch and crawl and <laughs> find our way to different bands. And I just love yeah. when you find when you especially like you're talking about where you find that one local band where you're able to feel more of a connective touch to it because you know yeah you're tuning into the local radio station or whatever i just it it makes it so much more real for you yeah for sure and then like you know you go to a show and you realize like these dudes are approachable you could talk to them you could like email them and they would write back and everything so yeah from there like i was just addicted to like going to every every summer would hit and i would just tell my parents i'll come back in september and you know they were nice enough to toss me like 250 bucks or something for the summer and i would just literally couch surf on people's couches or wherever i could and just like live off spaghetti noodles and and i would just spend all my money going to all ages shows because you know shows back then were you know, you go to a Friday, Saturday one and they were like five bucks each. Maybe there was like, you know, Lagwagon and No Use for a Name or Good Riddance and AFI were playing in Seattle. You know, you'd fill a car up with some friends, throw 10 bucks in each for gas. And then it was, you know, 12 bucks to see both those bands play the rock candy in Seattle or something. So, you know, I would just go to every show I could. Oh, my goodness. You haven't done your shopping yet? Well, let me make your life Super easy by giving you the one-stop solution for all of your gift-giving needs, and that is rockabilia.com. First and foremost, use the promo code 100 words or less. That gets you 10% off your order, and the number is 100. You don't have to spell out the whole thing because holy moly, that would be a long promo code. But anyways, rockabilia.com, they have band merch from so many different artists. I don't care if you're shopping for your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your aunt. Whoever is interested in music, you are able to dial something in for them. Whether it's like, yo, you like Bob Marley? How about Black Sabbath? What about Led Zeppelin? All of those things you can purchase from rockabilly.com. And it ships from the Midwest, gets to you lickety split. And then on top of that, you are supporting artists because this is all officially licensed stuff. None of this bootleg stuff where bands don't see any of it. And, you know, kind of shady. Let's just be honest. But rockabilly.com is your place to go for the holidays. Go onto the website, have fun, use the promo code 100 words or less, it gives you 10% off your order, and happy holidays. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken, and I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of you know this person that maybe you know is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. 
And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. How were your parents reacting to this stuff that they they most likely didn't have a context for? And um, you also, and maybe this is just a sort of outsider personal judgment against you, but just like, you seem like an excitable person where it's like, I imagine once you get into something, you're kind of full-throated about it. Uh, were your parents, I guess, concerned about you, you know, <laughs> driving down to Seattle and being like, what is Kenny getting into? This is strange. Uh, no, I don't like, they've always been pretty supportive and they knew like, I wasn't really having a great time up in hundred mile house, especially in like the school I went to, like, cause up there you gotta be a, uh, you know, like the hockey jocks kind of ran that school. And I also have a short temper. So I was, I was fighting lots of like, I was scrapping with the hockey jocks and everything. So I think like, as long as I was, you know, happy. I think my parents were stoked for me. (laughs) Right, right. And uh, did you, I mean, I imagine very much like whatever football here in America, uh, hockey, like you said, it was so pervasive. That's like what kids played all across Canada. And so did you ever play hockey or ever try to get into it? Or was that just like, no, I'm not even, I don't even care about that. No, when I was like, like, I was a firm, like, like, sports are for jocks like fuck that i would i would never you know because i was always a bigger kid too so i remember in uh every year in high school they would try to convince me to you know join rugby or something like that and i was just like nope that's lame (laughs) (laughs) i I also love that thought process because it existed so firmly in the you know 90s that never the twain shall meet. Like, you know, if you're into subculture, you can't play sports and vice versa. And if you did, it was like this like secret identity where it's like, yeah, I play basketball and I also go to shows, but I'm not going to talk about it with anybody. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. Like, uh, yeah, I remember even being like, you know, thinking like, oh, that guy has a gym membership. That's not punk. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, dude, that's even more extreme. I like, I like the... (laughs) I like the line of like, dude, if you work out, you're a total loser. (laughs) (laughs) My only only cardio is going in a pit and circle pitting. Yeah, exactly. You know, stage diving should be your only form of fitness. (laughs) I love that. Uh, And... Did you care about school? Like, was there any sort of, um, you know, academics uh, in your life that you were passionate about? Or once you started to get exposed to music and going to shows, that was kind of what you wanted to pursue more than anything else? Yeah, I wasn't a a great student by any means. At one point in uh, my school year, because me and my sister, like I said, we're only 18 months apart. So at one point I got suspended from a school 
and there wasn't a lot of options up there. So I went to, uh, I did a year of homeschooling. My parents, like my mom was like, ah, he can try that. And then this way I could like, you'll have more time to play guitar and stuff like that at home. And just, you know, whatever tries to make me happy at the time. And so needless to say, I didn't do my homework because I'm lazy and I fell a year behind. So I had to redo grade, I guess it would be grade 11. Okay. And since my sister was so close in age to me, we now were in the same grade and I've always been like a competitive kind of guy. And so once I was in the same grade as my sister, that's when I started trying. So I, I actually cracked the honor roll in, in grade 11 and 12, just because I wanted to like, be like, crush she. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. You're like, you, you think you're cool. I'll show you. Yeah. Uh, you know, just try to like upstage my sister, but you know, needless to say, uh, you know, she now has numerous degrees from universities and I got nothing. So I have a, uni- <laughs> I have a university in rocking out. That's about it. <laughs> right. You're like, I got a university in uh, being tall and being able to play guitar. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. My post-secondary skills consist of, uh, or I, I went to, I took one semester. So three classes in Edmonton at a school. Cause I, I moved out there to hang out like, because my buddy moved out there. I was like, oh, I'll join you out in Ed- Edmonton. And it, I moved out there in the winter and did one semester and decided that sucked. And came back to Vancouver, enrolled in another semester, and then got my student loan and then bought a JCM 800 and uh, guitar with that. Never went to the school and started touring with Daggermouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. And uh, what did your parents do for a, a living? Like, was there ever any conception that you were going to, you know, follow in their footsteps? So my mom's uh, like a secretary. She she finished up her career at uh, there's like a little satellite light branch. Like there's the university in Kamloops. It's called the Thompson Rivers University. But all these small towns have like little satellite branches where you can, you know, like do CPR courses and do little things like that. Anyways, my mom ran that kind of the, she was the secretary for that. And then my dad is a union iron worker. And I remember from the youngest age, he would always come home and say, don't ever do what I do. So I've never, <laughs> I think that's why they've always been so like, Yeah. He's, he's always said like, whatever right. you do, don't, don't become an iron worker. Like, you know, because he would have to leave for three months at a time working and, you know, just breathe. It sucks now because you could really see the toll it took on him. Like, because he was doing that shit in the 80s and stuff before they, knew, you know, had a lot of workers comp rules and stuff. And now he has like, uh, you know, he coughs all the time. I forget what that that that's called, but he always has this cough and it's just from breathing in fumes and shit for years. Right. Right, right. I, yeah, I, I always love that I when parents instill that whatever they are doing from a profession or job, and then they tell their you know sons or daughters, under no circumstances are you going to follow me. It ends here. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you know, like there's there's some points where you know I've I've 
thought, ah, you know, because it'd be easy enough to just like toss my dad's name in at the union and get some schooling paid for and stuff. But I don't know, over the years, like now that I'm like 42 years old and I've done a ton of jobs in my life, I could honestly say like that construction kind of lifestyle, it's not for me. I hate that line of work so much, whether it's like landscaping or, you know, welding or, you know, I've done, I've renovated bathrooms for a while and stuff like that. And yeah, like it's all good stuff. I'm glad I've learned what I've learned, but I definitely don't want to do that shit for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're like these, these hands are meant for, uh, you know, finger picking. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or punching someone in a pro wrestling ring, but that's about it. Yeah. That's my, I don't know if you're aware. I'm also a pro wrestler. I, yes, that we were, we were definitely going to uh, dive into that as well. <laughs> and, uh, no, and honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll bring it up now where the, uh, the intersection, and I'm sure you've been able to connect these dots between, you know, independent wrestling, punk, hardcore DIY, and then also, you know, stand up comedy, like all three of those have pretty much the same ingredients of, you know, touring, um, playing venues that are unconventional, and then also just the mental and physical toll it can take on people. Yeah. Um, did you did you like as you were starting to experience the you know independent uh, wrestling world? Were you able to connect the two of just like oh this is exactly the same thing as playing in a band? I didn't figure it out like because I became a pro wrestler first like uh, right. before before Dagger Mouse started, and then so I did that for a couple of years, but just like locally and around Portland and Washington. And nothing too serious, though. And at that time, the indies were like, at least out here, the indies were really, really carny and shitty run and all that stuff. So I didn't really put two and two together. And then um, it was definitely after, you know, once Daggermouth was going and I was doing all the bookings for that. And when I saw kind of the writing on the wall that Daggermouth was kind of breaking up, I, I was like, man, I want to get back into wrestling and you know, once you once you book numerous tours, like DIY tours across North America, like nothing scares you anymore. It's like, oh, yeah, I can go back into wrestling and I can, you know, send out emails and try to tour around, you know, same way as I do with the band. And, you know, so it definitely opened up a lot of eyes like, yeah, the the worlds are all the same when you look at it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you show up to a, a, a gym to do a pro wrestling match and you know, you might only make 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, but it's like, man, you got to man that merch table. Like that's the one thing I always tell all the young kids getting into pro wrestling now is like, fuck figuring out your match. Like go hang out at the merch table, sell some shit. That's where you're going to make all the money. Right. <laughs> it's true. And I, I mean, I didn't make it. I liked wrestling. I'm the exact same age as you. So I personally followed wrestling in the heyday of the eighties. And, you know, I definitely lost touch with it as I, I grew older. But once I started to see the independent, whether it's your, you know, ring of honor and then all the other you know, independent wrestling circuits pop up, I was like, this is exactly the same thing. You're taking again, you know, like you said, a gym, running it out, getting, you know, maybe 500 people to show up and then you know charge some money at the door and then like you said slinging merch and shaking hands with people that you know may have seen you just you know got hit by a bat or whatever yeah and the one thing like because i started running some shows a couple years ago back in uh i don't anymore but back in vancouver and it was weird every promoter here was all about like 
you'd have to find some community hall or some something like that. And I was like, I was the first guy to start like, why don't we talk to the music venues and the venues that hold concerts? Like, I mean, they have the PA, they have the lights, like start doing that. So I kind of started running shows out at, out at like the rickshaw theater in Vancouver and the wise hall in Vancouver, like some music venues. And since then that seems to be like what every promoter does now. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, they're so interchangeable, like the two scenes for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, you know, with you forging a path and and becoming a wrestler, I, I think that m- the conception of most people that experience wrestling is very much, you know, the huge stage, large WWE events and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, independent wrestling really was this, you know, seedy underbelly for so long. When did you... I guess, find an access point so you could become an independent, you know, wrestler? Like, how did that transpire? I presume you went to go train and everything like that, like, uh, you know, people start to do as they're building up their chops? Yeah, so in uh, in my grade 12 year at school, they uh, they kind of asked, there's a class called Career and Personal Planning, and they were like, you know, they assume every kid at 18 or 17 or 19 should pick a job the minute they're done high school that they should do the rest of their life, which is really stupid. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. So, and at the time I was like really into like WWE raw at the time where it was stone cold, Steve Austin, like the attitude era. So I was just a class clown. I was like, I want to be a pro wrestler. And the teacher laughed and said, Hey, someone has to do it. They got to get wrestlers from somewhere, figure out how to do it. So, I started looking around and I read uh, Mick Foley's book, his first book he put out. And uh, he mentioned, you know, that there's wrestling schools. So I started looking around Vancouver for uh, a local wrestling school and I contacted a few. Um, the first one was run by a guy called uh, uh, some some people might remember him if they're into uh, old, old wrestling from the 80s. But his name was the Diamond Timothy Flowers. And I, I contacted him and the first thing he said is like, yep, brother, send me 2,500 bucks. And I guarantee in three months you're working for WWF. And I was like, uh, I think even me can read through that. (laughs) Right. This sounds like a pay to play show, even though I don't know what that is yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and then, uh, there's another guy down here called Michelle star who ran, um, a wrestling school. And so I I contacted him and we chatted and hit it off a bit. And I was going to uh, go to his school when once I graduated. And I even helped uh, the company do a few shows in 100 Mile House. And um, so, yeah, I graduated. I moved to Vancouver. I did not go to Michelle Starr's school because it was all the way out in the suburbs. And uh, there was a guy named Rocket Randy Tyler who was opening a school in town with... Uh, one of the teachers was actually uh, Dr. Luther, who now wrestles for AEW. And so I was like, I really liked Randy Tyler and and I liked Dr. Luther because he was going to Japan and stuff at the time. And so I joined their school. It was called the Russellplex. It was only around for a little bit. But uh, yeah, so I joined joined up there and started learning how to wrestle. And yeah, my first match was oh, late 99 or early 2000. 
out in uh it would have been early 2000 i think out in uh portland oregon and uh i was wrestling for uh, roddy piper was my boss at the time he was the booker of the company wow that's cool that's cool r.i.p R- R- roddy yeah he was a, he was a really nice dude to anyone who was ever wondering he was uh you know, I met, I've met. i definitely met some bags of shit in the world of pro wrestling, but uh, Roddy Piper is not one of them. He was a really, really nice dude. That's incredible. And uh, with your, the, the approach of, you know, becoming a uh, wrestler, like, you know, that sounds very much like probably even farther of a stretch than a kid being like, oh, I would like to become a firefighter. And, you know, like yeah. you said, like you said, your parents were supportive of you. Um was was there ever a notion that just like well we know that kenny is not going to take the conventional road um but this is like you know this is even farther than we thought he was going to go yeah they never really i don't think they were really too stoked on it i remember my dad came out to the first match i ever did where i bladed which is uh you know if no one knows listening to it it's where you take a razor blade and cut your fucking forehead open that's how you get blood in pro wrestling <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know a lot of people still think it's like fake blood it's like nah you take a razor blade you slice your head open uh you're just supposed to nick it a little bit but i was like you know all gung-ho and young and so i i still have this scar that goes right across my forehead like it looks like i was attacked by a machete and um, I remember sitting in the shower, like waiting for all the blood to run out of my head. And my dad comes into the, he breaks into the dressing room and just says, you better fucking get your life together. And so it starts yelling at me in front of all the boys. So, you know, they, they were never, I don't think they were ever too supportive of the pro wrestling until I started going overseas with it. And I remember once, once you start going over to like Europe, or I mean, over to Asia with it, they, that's when they they were really proud of me over it. Right. It, it's true when you make something that is seems so far-fetched or that they haven't experienced or you're featured in the local papers. It's like these small moments where all of a sudden it feels real to them. So they're like, oh, hey, good job, Kenny. Yeah, for sure. Like even even throughout all the I don't I don't even know if my parents have come seen any of my bands play. And, uh, you know, like even throughout the dagger mouth stuff like they're like oh that's cool but you know me playing in the mckenzie's they're like cuz because they love vegas so much my parents like w- always go to vegas and you know they know that punk rock bowling festival happens sure. there so they're like oh is there a chance you could play punk rock bowling that'd be the greatest we'd come down for that so like that's the one thing they're waiting for to come see me play i guess but yeah. <laughs> totally that's incredible <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. It's it's the little things, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I try to tell my parents that I, you know, helped create a, a musical genre called Easy Core, but, you know, they don't care about that. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, yeah that, that doesn't uh, cash the checks, so, so to speak, for them. <laughs> yeah, like, Mom, I'm the John Lennon of Easy Core. Like, think about it, but. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard of pop, punk, and hardcore combining? Well, that's that we got going on here. <laughs> yeah. Mom, yeah, let me show you this Finn McKenty video. That, you know. <laughs> totally. I'll show you the origins of it. Yeah. Um, the uh, So as you started to, you know, have that first band experience, like was Daggermouth essentially like your first band or had you played stuff prior to that, that, you know, never really like recorded or anything? Uh, they were basically my first band. I was, I was 
in a band called the retreads for like two or three shows. And they were a band I would see in the nineties at like uh, the community center shows and stuff. And they got back together they, and played some shows. So I joined that lineup. And uh, the reason I joined that is because it had the bass player and the drummer from the McCrackens. I don't know if you've ever remember. No, I'm not familiar with them. Yeah. So they, they had a split out with MXPX on a seven inch and, uh, they 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 toured Europe a little bit and stuff like that. And uh they were on Shredder Records. I don't know if you're like the same label that put out the first Jawbreaker album and stuff. So Yeah, I've heard of that label. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of cool to like join up with these like older dudes who who were, you know, have been around the block and everything. And Rob and Sandy are such good good people. I still talk to them all the time. So yeah, so I did that, but then um you know, I kind of like I wanted a tour and they've already done all the touring and they're a little bit older and like, you know what I mean? They weren't going to drop their life to, you know, they had mortgages and stuff and they weren't really interested in going down the West Coast and playing all these like DIY shows. So, you know, when the chance for Daggermouth came around and I started that, I kind of dumped on them. So, yeah. Right. But, yeah. So they were my first kind of band. Right, the first band that you got out there and you know toured and obviously put put music out there. Yeah, with it seems to me too, like just from you know, not only watching Daggermouth but just kind of you know having mutual friends. Like you seem like a pretty outgoing dude and a person that um, you know generally speaking like gets along with most people. Um, although you may rub certain people the wrong way. I'm not speaking from experience or anything, but I'm just saying like you know so personality sometimes bump people out. Um, but ha- ha- was that kind of like always who you were as a person, like pretty, you know, easygoing and jovial? Or was that something that you, uh, I guess, you know, learned as you started to open up via wrestling and, and punk and hardcore? No, I've always been like kind of the loud mouth and the, you know, class clown. And, you know, all through high school, I would always be in the drama program and, you know, doing some school plays and stuff like that. I've always been, you know, I've never been a shy guy or anything. I'm always, you know pretty pretty outgoing got with, it you're always down to clown as they say yeah which i which i i guess i get from my mom because like even you know she'll sit down in vegas and like see someone with colored hair and be like my son kenny plays in this band like you know my mom will talk to anyone and you know so i i probably get my outgoingness from her <laughs> sure sure absolutely did you um since you toured previously with the, you know, indie wrestling circuit, and then, you know, once you started to tour with uh, Daggermouth, did you like that juxtaposition of, I mean, because touring with your independent wrestling stuff, that's, I mean, usually maybe you're traveling with a few other people, but it's more of a solitary thing. Whereas in a band, you're traveling, you know, like a, like a gang. <laughs> did yeah. you, uh, did you find, you know, a, a, a difference between those two or was it, all kind of you know generally speaking something that you enjoyed i i enjoy both but like with pro wrestling usually it's just you know a weekend you you know you fly in and you know you fly in or you drive with a bunch of people to a spot you do your show you know hopefully you get a hotel you know and then you turn around and drive back home for monday right whereas with the band it's you know when you're on the road it's every night of the week like I think the longest Daggermouth tour we did was four months straight, 
right point and uh yeah so it's definitely a lot harder and a lot more intensive you know in my opinion doing the band thing right you're you're kind of you know with wrestling you always knew you'd be back on like sunday in order to get to like your day job whereas with 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 the music it's you know you're out on the road and you're kind of just like like you're almost homeless in a way like you you know you have a vehicle and you put gas in it and all that stuff but essentially you're living like a homeless person <laughs> oh absolutely yeah you're just living yeah. out of a transient lifestyle of just yeah i got my suitcase and you know i i have a place where i can put that suitcase down but that's about it yeah yeah exactly yeah so i'd say like the music life is definitely a lot a lot harder for sure evilgreed.net is the place where you can go to visit bands web stores they are a solution for so many of your favorite bands and record labels they're based in berlin germany but they ship stuff to the united states so fast it actually makes my head spin i ordered a product from them and in about seven days it landed on my doorstep i love it and let me name some of the bands and record labels that they work with because it is a highly curated list like honestly they act like a record label and that is what makes me enjoy what they do so much like they work with bands like one step closer Lingua Ignata, they work with Sun, Blood Incantation, Nails, and they come out with new cool merch from them all the time. And then on top of it, they also work with really, really cool record labels like Triple B and Sergeant House. Trust me, go to evilgreed.net and use this promo code 100 words that gets you 10% off your entire order. You will thank me because you will buy some shirts, buy some hoodies, buy some vinyl, and it will be shipped to you safe and sound. And maybe you can throw in some gifts there for your family and friends if they're into cool stuff because, you know, not everybody is going to enjoy a sun custom embroidered bomber jacket. And no joke, that's what they have at evilgreed.net. Buy some stuff for you, buy some stuff for your cool friends, and use the promo code 100WORDS. Thank you very much, Evil Greed. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Once you started to get out there with Daggermouth and, you know, put out a demo and play some local shows and, you know, start to record records and everything like that, did, uh, how was the business aspect of it? Like, you know, working with labels and trying to figure out, you know, what to do, how much we should charge for our shirts and that sort of stuff. Did you like the business aspects of it or was that something that you tried to kind of stay away from? No, I I like the business end of it. It's always like... I don't know. I guess I like kind of being in control and knowing where things are going and whatnot. And it always just falls on my on my lap. Like, you know, if I do something, I want it 
to be as big as I can. And it always just seems like I'm kind of the guy that is organized enough to, you know, like, you know, not every member of the band wants to stay up late sending out emails. And I was the same way with pro wrestling, right? I would, you know, I'd scour message boards trying to find the emails. I remember finding like Takamichi Noku's email and a message board and starting to write him to try to get brought over to Russell in Japan for his company and stuff like that. And, you know, so I'm always the guy that kind of, I, I actually enjoy that kind of organization and tour managing and stuff like that. Like even this little run rest easy just got off of, you know, I was the guy that like booked all the hotel rooms and planned out which time we're leaving and this and that. So yeah, I don't, I don't mind the, you know, the business end of it. Like dealing with labels is a bit of a hassle just because, you know, Mo, mo, I don't know, and I don't know about your experience, but most of my experiences is uh, most people that run a label should be dragged into an alley and beat with a bat. But you know, <laughs> I mean, there are people. I, I think to to be fair, I mean, only because like I <laughs> work, I worked at labels, but at the same time, I did not start any of them. I do think that most people, especially that come from the punk and hardcore world, and you know, are, are very like, they're just enamored with the idea of like, I want to support bands. I want to put out records and stuff. Their, their vision isn't to be like, Oh man, I can't wait to be a boss and hire a staff. Like, and then yeah. all of a sudden once that comes into play, it's like, what the hell is it? Like, what do you mean? I got to send out mail order on time. I'm just going to put out this record. It's like that. That's where it starts to your point of where people, you know, maybe not the bat in the alleyway, but you know, need a, 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 a stiff slap to the face. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I I haven't dealt with a ton of labels like, uh, you know, like mostly when when I speak of my anger, it's mostly directed towards state of mind records and dagger. Sure. Fair, fair, fair. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's I mean, that was definitely of an era where the intentions may have been right and pure for so many people. But I I do think that they're, you know, especially once there is a it feels like an insurmountable task. That's when, you know, things really fall apart and it doesn't add up. Yeah. And I think like, not to say we got too big for them right off the bat or anything, but like, maybe that's stupid of me to say, but uh, I, I definitely think they weren't organized enough and all that. Cause I think I, you know, turf wars, I think did pretty good. And, you right. know, I just wish, uh, you know, I really wish Daggermouth got to put a third album out on, on a different label. I think it would have been a big, big difference. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I definitely think that there was that, uh, there was not only that upward trajectory, but just the idea that you could be working with a label that had an infrastructure to be able to not only promote, but obviously distribute your records. And I know those sounds so, both those tasks sounds relatively simple, but if you don't have a system built up, it, you're never going to be able to achieve that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, with uh with the idea of dagger mouth and as you were experiencing you know touring and playing shows and everything like that when did you feel like i guess people were paying attention to what you were doing and how did you i mean like you mentioned previously you were always comfortable you know kind of whatever being the class clown and stuff like that did you ever feel uncomfortable with the attention that you were getting in the band of just like oh my gosh like you know people want to talk to me after the shows and all that sort of stuff no, like I've always been pretty, you know, proud and stoked and honored when someone, you know, 
is into the band and wants to talk after and stuff. And, you know, like, like playing the shows that we played, you know, in Daggermouth, you're mostly playing to like peers and, you know, like kids in the hardcore scene and stuff anyways. Right. So, right. You know, like, you know, some of my best buds now have been like people that I met just being Daggermouth fans, you know, and they're still super supportive of anything I put out these days, which is great. Yeah. Right. Like, that's kind of how like rest easy got on uh mutant league records. The guy was just a Daggermouth fan and he ended up writing being like, Oh, I heard you were in Daggermouth got a new band. Can you send me something? And that's how that all went down. So yeah, yeah. I, I can't really like hate on anyone for wanting to talk or, you know, liking my band. It stokes me out. Sure. No, that's cool. Yeah. And especially too, like, I think once you are, I mean, like you were, saying your age earlier i mean i I also am 42 and just the idea that like as you get older it, it takes more intentionality in your life in general to do stuff and especially the idea of staying connected to punk and hardcore and wanting to play in a band like that takes effort in ways that it didn't take effort when you were you know 21 and you had all the time in the world or whatever yeah i like even even now looking back like i can't believe some of the time i invested into like dagger mouth used to practice at midnight till two in the morning like four nights a week or yeah four nights a week we would practice and that's ridiculous now because like nowadays with rest easy you know we have a show coming up our drummer lives out of town you know hopefully he flies in a day early and can do the practice you know we can run a run the set but if not like i don't know i just sit in my room and play to the you know, I have like one of them line six pods and I hook the, you know, the computer up to it and just run the set list through that way. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's definitely, you know, harder to invest all the time into going out to shows and all that stuff as you get older. But, you know, I still, I still try to do it as much as I can. Right. You're still connected to it. And I think that's what makes it, I mean, especially like getting together with people to play in a band, no matter how serious or, unserious it is from a touring perspective just that that simple act is you know more than most people can muster up because they're like oh i'm so tired from my job or whatever yeah for sure and uh with the you know the the dissolution of dagger mouth and then once you um you know you reunited and played those shows back in like what was it 2017 2018 roughly i think yeah i think 2017 2018 yeah yeah and was the um was you playing those shows um you know cathartic interesting like what sort of emotions were you going through just because i mean i know that the band like daggermouth kind of like petered out just because of a lot of different you know internal and external circumstances was it cool to kind of put a cap on it at the end of it or was it just kind of like oh this is a fun experience i'll i'll say yes to it uh yeah i really wanted to like have a happy ending with that band and um, you know, I kind of looking back, I really wish because we did the one reunion show and then we played Pooza Fest in Montreal mm-hmm. and I kind of wish we left it at that. But then we, uh, you know, we went on, we recorded an EP that didn't end up getting any vocals put on it. And so that's just sitting out there. And then, yeah, it was kind of the same thing, like uh, this, you know, same members as before just kind of like you know just just lost interest and 
petered out and it was kind of like, ah, so I, I, I definitely don't feel fulfilled how, how the end of that was. And also too, like we did that reunion and we didn't have Nick singing like Stu went and sang Mm -hmm. who was, who was Stu was the other guitar player. So, you know, it, it would have been nice to have Nick involved and he just didn't want to do it for whatever reasons. Like, you know, I can't blame him. I'm, I'm also a dude that holds grudges stupidly <laughs> like very stupidly. <laughs> so uh you know i i can't blame him. i if we were to ever do something else again i would want nick to definitely be involved in it and i still hope that one day we could you know do uh you know one last show or something with nick singing it would it would be great to you know i saw a bunch of kids recently on twitter kind of throw our name out for oh you should get dagger mouth for furnace fest next year or something like it would be rad to do you know furnace fest and like a punk rock holiday or something like that over in Europe and call it quits on a high note or something. You know what I mean? As opposed to just having something that's still unfulfilled and still people holding bitter grudges and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially too, where it's, I I think most bands that break up are they're They're met with usually external circumstances that, you know, start to, dissolve the band whether it's their relationships or just like oh this is too hard i can't keep this up and so yeah for you to have some semblance of closure that is you know i mean sometimes that's hard for bands to accomplish but you know as long as you still have that desire like something will probably come around yeah i hope so like i have i haven't talked to nick in man a million million years now like probably last time i talked to him was probably 09 or 2010 or something like that and you know, it's been a while and he's now living in LA doing, doing his thing. And he works in, I think he works in film or something like that, but yeah. And other members, you know, like Jared who played bass on turf wars, keeps in touch with him pretty good and stuff like that. So who knows? Never, never want to say never, but you know, everyone has to want to do it and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. I really hope one day we can, you know, just have that one last show, you know, make it special and just finally call it. Right. Right. And like you mentioned with, um, you know, the formation of Rest Easy and you guys all, you know, take it as serious as you can in regards to getting out there and the, you know, playing shows and logistics. But you've been able to do a lot for, you know, how (laughs) spread apart, uh, you know, most of you are. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, I know uh, Jimmy the drummer uh, when he lived down here, I met him and became friends with him. And I know he lives in Edmonton and that's clearly not close to you guys. Um, he lives in Fort McMurray now, which is even like, it's like uh, another four or five <laughs> hours south or no, four or five hours north of Edmonton. Oh my gosh. That's even further out there. Crazy. Yeah, so now to, now to do shows, there's an airport in Fort McMurray, but it's mostly like, that's where like a lot of oil workers and fucking the rig pigs all work up in Fort Max. So it's, there's an airport but it's it's pretty pricey so like even for jimmy to do shows with us he has to drive four hours to edmonton hop on a plane fly out you know sometimes he lands goes straight to jam and then you know does the show and he's back on a plane at like six in the morning on on a sunday so yeah we're nothing's ever easy in my life (laughs) (laughs) right um but i i guess what um personally pushes you to you know, get out there and play shows beyond, is it just as simple as like, I just like to play shows. So I want to do that and create opportunities for myself. Yeah. I've, I've, it's, it's not with me and maybe it's a bad way to look at things, you know, like, 
you, you know, some, I wish I could just be one of those dudes that practices guitar and is happy playing like a couple local shows a year and stuff like that. But, you know, whenever I have a band, I always want it to try to be as big as it can be, you know, and, you know, even being 42 years old, maybe that's a stupid thought, but yeah, I, I like traveling the world and I like seeing the world. And if I could do that for as cheap as I can or for free, I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) I, I do. I identify with that just because I, I, I think it's, it's interesting when you have this idea that, especially when you've been given opportunities to be like, Oh yes, I've been able to, you know, tour here and, go there based off of either your wrestling or, or band experience. Once you've kind of tasted that, you're just like, wait a minute, like I can do that again. <laughs> like why, why not try to do that? And like you said, just push it as far as you can within reason. Yeah, totally. And you know, we got a good, you know, Nate from the labels really behind us and everything and stuff. And you know, the new album's coming out and I think it, I, I think people really like it. And yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, I love being on the road. I love like hanging out with dudes. I love sleeping in a hotel room bed and, and, and just, yeah, seeing, seeing the world and having fun and, you know, doing that all over the place. So hopefully, hopefully I keep pulling that stunt off for another few more years. <laughs> right, right. What's your uh, interaction with uh, wrestling at this point? Like, do you, uh, do you just kind of like dip in and out when it makes sense? Do you, are you pursuing it actively? Um, what's the, what's the vibe there? Uh, I was, once that dagger mouth reunion started, I kind of put wrestling on the back burner. And then of course, like the pandemic hit and everything else. And I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty out of shape right now. Just from, you know, like hell, I just did like an August long tour in Europe with the McKenzie's. So, you know, sure, <laughs> I definitely had a few beers every night and some schnitzel every day. And, uh, you know, so I'm I'm pretty out of shape and, you know, at least the wrestling scene in Vancouver, like out in Vancouver, when I got out of it, there was a lot of like drama happening. And then right before the pandemic, a couple promoters got called out on the on the Me Too thing and, you know, which was, in my opinion, deserved their fucking pieces of shit. So, you know, there was just a lot of drama happening and stuff. And then, yeah, the pandemic hit and I was just like, you know, I'm. 40 years old at that time i'm like you know i i I gave it a good honest try you know like i i've i've done tours of japan i've done tours of korea i've i've you know put it this way like wwe or AEW ain't gonna come knocking on 42 year old kenny lush's door no matter what you know what i mean so you know it was just realistic like do i wanna do i just want to be like the local rustler that just hangs around the local scene that's taking a spot up from some young kid, you know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I've never wanted to do that. Like I've always made fun of those guys. Like look at this, like 50 year old loser hanging around talking about the good old days and trying to tell me how to wrestle. And like, you know, back in my day, a headlock was all you need to do. And it's like, yeah, back in your day was super fucking boring, dude. Like, you <laughs> right, know, right. So- yeah, so I, I've just taken some time off. I would like there's a bunch of new companies opening up in in Vancouver right now, and you know it, it would be fun to you know do another match or two, but it would have to be the right circumstances. And 
all that. But first things first, I got to get my ass back in shape before I do any of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. And it just the, and I, I like that idea too, because I, I think that there does get that weird old man on the porch energy, especially with people. Cause I mean, clearly like punk and hardcore is a young person's game in regards to, Oh, I'm going to two or 300 days out of the year. And you know, just the, the rigors that it does to not only your body, but your mind, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't mean that you can't take up space. Like obviously, you know, you're doing with rest easy where it's like, yeah, we can still be putting out, you know, music and touring and do all this stuff. But like, we're just going to approach it a little bit differently than you are. But that doesn't mean that it's, you know, better or worse. It means just like we have to be economical about our time as opposed to, you know, just touring for touring's sake. Yeah. Like absolutely. As you get older, at least in my opinion, you know, like, like Daggermouth, we'd be like, okay, let's, you know, like we didn't care. We just hop on the road and I'd book us the longest tours possible. And, you know, and nowadays it's like, well, you know, we could fly in and do California for a weekend, you know, which is like something we we're hoping to do in the new year, you know, do like, Friday in the Bay Area and Saturday LA and Sunday San Diego or something like that and then fly home but back in my you know back in the Daggermouth days we'd be like oh look at those weekend warriors like you gotta hit the road like you know we would do sometimes we'd do two weeks worth of shows just going to LA and back it was crazy (laughs) like (laughs) yeah which is like it's great like playing Longview Washington like middle of nowhere buttfuck nowhere Washington that's how I met like Josh and Ty from Broadway calls, you know, cause yep. that's their town and they would do our shows. And so, you know, and they're still some of my best buds. And so, you know, you do meet a lot of great people, but yeah, as you get older, it's like, ah, do you really, you know, like, unless I'm, unless I'm a support slot opening for someone, like I can't ever see us getting to like Albuquerque, New Mexico or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> Right. I'm sorry, New Mexico. I, I, I really loved playing it in Daggerbout days, but yeah, it's just so far. Right. <laughs> and I also think just the idea that once bands started to like literally be able to fly out where it's like, okay, we're covering our plane flights from whatever we're getting paid from these shows. And like, that's fine. Just the idea of like flying from one coast to another. I remember when bands started to do that in the, you know, sort of mid 2000s. It was like, wait, you can do that? <laughs> it's just like, wait, that's an option? Yeah, and I think like I wish I would have thought a little smarter when Daggermouth was around because you know, I think part of the reason which led to the breakup is we just toured so much and so much and part of that was because you know, we would see set your goals getting on all these, you know, fucking rad tours and stuff and we're like, "Oh man, we just got to like tour as much as they do and you know, we'll start getting offered the 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 support slots and things will kick off and you know, I remember the tour we kind of broke up on. We were going down the West Coast to hook up with Comeback Kid. And we were going to do the East Coast with them. And then from there, you know, go go back across Canada and then come, come across again. And then fly to Europe, which, you know, and we ended up breaking up four dates into that tour or whatever. And part of me is just like, man, if we had Europe on the on the go, like we should just stayed home and worked and then just flew from Vancouver. But I thought like it would be better to fly from Toronto out to Europe for some reason. So we had a tour out there and none of it made any sense looking back on it, but 
right? Yeah. All it takes is like one band to do something that's like a good idea. And then all of a sudden it proliferates of just like, oh, hey, you guys can do this and make your lives easier. It's like, oh, yeah, like we don't need to end tour on the opposite side of the country where we live. Like there's probably better ways of doing that. But, you know, when you're young and dumb, you have no idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and and especially in those days in that like crazy MySpace mid 2000s era, like, like you just had to look like you were busy all the time. And, and, you know, nowadays I think you can kind of accomplish that more just by posting more on Instagram or something like that. But like, like rest easy just did. uh, We, I got back yesterday. We did Friday, Toronto, Saturday, Montreal and Sunday in Ottawa. And, you know, we didn't make enough to recoup our plane flights, but we made enough to like pay off the van rental and the gas. And, you know, we each got hotel rooms every night because we're old now and I refuse to share a bed with a dude. And uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, just in my. Yeah, you would, you need your own space. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to be sitting beside Dana, you know, 42 years old and him farting in his sleep and shit like that. So, you know, it's it's you know, we each got two hotel rooms. So we were able to recoup all that minus the flights. And my flight out to Toronto was like 160 bucks, you know? So, you know, whereas it would have taken two weeks or a week and a half to, <laughs> tour, to I would have missed a two weeks worth of work to make it out to Toronto touring. Whereas like, you know, like half a day's pay paid for a flight for me so you know yeah i think like the yeah things have just kind of changed and you can be smarter now with where you pick your pick your slots now yeah absolutely what's the saying of you know work uh smarter not harder it definitely pays itself and especially too with your approach of i just want to do this to collect experiences and that's what i think is important about where what you want to do with you know your music and the band that you're playing currently yeah for sure yeah they call it uh uh, you say pick your experiences. They they say uh, in the pro wrestling world, you say less is more. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that that <laughs> makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was um the the idea of you know devoting yourself as you have to you know just the 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 unconventional path in life where it's like I'm going to you know wrestle for a while. I'm going to play in bands and like you know hold jobs that will sustained me from a living perspective but i'm not gonna you know really pursue the career and you know do the things that uh, people are supposed to do um has it been your experience where it's just been like there was no other i guess plan b like where it's like i'm gonna do this regardless and i'll figure out whatever i need to do to you know make a living yeah like i've been pretty lucky things just kind of fall in my lap and uh you know things like even even um before right before the pandemic hit my experiences in pro wrestling led me to doing some stunt work for tv and movies i'm on uh if you want to see me in a little bit part there's a movie it's a wwe movie and it's on netflix it's called the main event and it's a it's a kids movie so if you have kids put it on it's it's pretty sweet so i'm in that movie and yeah things have always just kind of you know, I don't really have a plan as far as like life and stuff. And a lot of my goals are pretty silly, but yeah, everything kind of falls together. Like last year I was working a construction job and quit slash got fired off that. And 
turned around and applied. My buddy said, oh, you should apply, you know, where I work. And it's uh, so I applied there and got this job and I really like it. And I'm working now in uh, the downtown east side. I'm a mental well, uh, mental health worker. So, you know, I work at like injection sites and it's pretty crazy work and not everyone I understand can tolerate it. But I really enjoy it, like being right down there in the craziness of it all and, you know, meeting people from all sorts of walks of life and just trying to help them out and stuff like that. So, you know, I've, I've been doing that for almost a year now. And then, yeah, I don't, you know, my goals change throughout life, but they're always something crazy. Like my, uh, during, the, during the pandemic, my wife, her mom was born in Portugal. So she went through all the hoops and got her Portuguese citizenship. And we were, we were actually in Portugal in September and opened up a bank account and cause Vancouver is way too expensive to live. And you know, eventually I want to buy a place. So now my new weird goal is to buy an apartment in Portugal. But everyone thinks it's weird. But, you know, I'll always keep doing weird shit. <laughs> well, yeah. And plus, that's that's your life. That's what you want to do. It's like, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's weird. But it's also like there's a reason for it. It's not like I just threw a dart on the map and was like, I'm going to buy a big in Portugal. It's like, no, there's a reason. Like, follow along. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, like it's still super affordable over there and everything. And. Yeah, Vancouver is just getting so crazy with rent and, you know, all that. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm sure it's the same. Where you live, like Orange County or L.A.? or. Yep, yep, Orange County. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's it's been like that for quite some time in Orange County, but just other, you know, there's so many places, obviously, across the United States are just, you know, unattainable for people to be able to live. And it's like you just have to move out even further into either the suburbs or just like more remote areas and be like, well, you know, I'm fine driving four hours to go to a show or whatever. This is okay. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. The, str- the, the struggle is real. Yeah. Sweet, sweet conversation with a sweet, sweet man. He's very tall as well from what I, uh, my internet sleuthing and what I remember about seeing Dackermouth play way back in the day. But uh, thank you very much to Kenny for hanging out with me and letting me uh, just, you know, comb his brain for all of his information. <laughs> And also, thank you to Nate at Mutant League Records because I enjoy his record label and I really enjoy, um, yeah, just what he does. And he supports the show and I very much appreciate that. So next week, I, of course, have another awesome conversation to bring to you and talk about diversity. You know, we got a pop punk slash hardcore band one week and then the next week we got a doom metal sludge band and that is Bobby Ferry from the band Sixteen. If you have not messed around with 16, I highly encourage you to do that. If you like all things heavy and stoner rock, you have to check out 16, who just released a new record on Relapse. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love the band. I've enjoyed the band for quite some time. And Bobby Ferry is an interesting person just because, I mean, 16 exists in this awesome world where they don't tour a ton, play occasionally, put out records occasionally, and it's very comfortable for them to do so. And we get new music every so often, and everybody wins. So had to have on Bobby because he's also from the Orange County punk and hardcore scene. Definitely went to a lot of the uh, the earlier gigs in the Orange County area, so had to pick his brain. But Bobby Ferry from 16 is on the show next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. 
BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.